Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship's Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor Teacher Paul Francisco. Join us as we are appointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's Holy Word. What do you think about when you hear the word wrath? Wrath. I think many people picture in their minds burning vengeance or perhaps outbursts of anger or an uncontrollable fit of rage. However, unlike our impure ideas, God is slow to anger. And his wrath is completely controlled with complete and righteous justice. See, many don't have a problem with God's love and mercy, but if you mention sin and hell or wrath, they are easily offended. But why even mention salvation if we're not going to mention what we need to be saved from? You see, if the gospel, as the Paul has been laying out for us in all of the, the chapter until now, contains God's power for salvation, then it has the power to keep us from God's wrath, which leads to eternal condemnation. So I want to propose to you this morning, beloved, when we look at this text and the subsequent weeks as we go through it in depth, when we share about God's love for sinners, but do not talk about his wrath or hell, then we are doing an injustice to the message of the gospel. I know this is unpopular, especially in our day and age. Many celebrity pastors and churches out there uh, completely avoid this. But the reality is we cheapen grace. We cheapen the gospel message apart from sin and death and hell and wrath which is why we need salvation. Up until this point in the letter, we've heard about God's promises fulfilled in Christ. A heartfelt prayer of love and humility, praying in the Spirit, and the ultimate message of power contained in God's gospel. However, now Paul turns in a new tone. It's a tone of seriousness and the description of human sin and God's wrath. The rest of the the chapter, all the way to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. It's not until verse 21 of chapter 3 that Paul will, will just take and labor to show how everyone is condemned before God. Gentile and Jew alike, from pagans to those who are handed the law and the prophets. And if God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel then his wrath should also reveal something for us. So to give you a roadmap, because I like to do that to give you guys some more to go, especially for those who like to write, God's wrath reveals something. God's wrath is revealed first, and it's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And secondly, it reveals to us the suppression of the truth by ignoring God's presence as an image bearer and ignoring his presence in general revelation. So as we look at our text here, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel for he knew its power to save, right? But what is man to be saved from? 
as Paul unfolded the details of the gospel that reveals his righteousness, he now wants everyone to know that God's wrath reveals something as well. In fact, God's wrath is perfectly righteous and just. So much so that Paul labors from here to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, to show that all are condemned, as I mentioned. If you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 11, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, God's wrath is revealed from heaven. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And how? Wrath, wrath does not originate with man, but God. You see, the Greek word for wrath refers to settled, a determined indignation. Not the momentary, emotional, and often uncontrolled anger which human beings are prone to. Unlike human wrath tainted with sin, or the devil's wrath, God is just and righteous in his wrath. God is slow to anger and just in his unleashing of wrath. Wrath is a righteous judgment for evil and sin. God's wrath is clear and offensive to many, but we must speak about the truth. The nature of sin has consequences, right? We break the law, we have consequences. If you are caught speeding, you get a ticket, right? And human depravity deserves God's righteous judgment. The idea of a wrathful God is a stumbling block for many, and including many of us self-proclaiming Christians. You see, contemporary evangelism easily adopts abundant life in Christ, joy, and blessings, and salvation. We like those things, right? However, this type of evangelism often fails to remember God's wrath and judgment. But if you think about it, even in our day, we expect people to be outraged by gross injustice and cruelty. Think about the shooting that took place right here in El Paso. Weren't you appalled and outraged at the evil that someone could so easily drive hours upon hours to come down here to take the lives of innocents? We wanted justice for that, right? So why then do we think God is numb to it? This, MacArthur rightly notes, a person cannot appreciate the fullness of God's love for them until they know something about the fierceness of God's anger against their sinful failure to perfectly obey the law. This is why I appreciate great comfort in his style of evangelism. I find it very helpful when, if you guys are familiar with the podcast and the show that they have for many years running in the way of the master, what he likes to do is use the, the Ten Commandments to show something. Like, for example, if I asked all of you here, who here uh, has honored their father and mother perfectly? Okay. All right, so that's just the first commandment, right? Who here worships God all the time? 
without imperfection. Who here has ever lied? That's me. Right? Who here has ever stolen anything? Maybe, maybe you didn't steal it out of the store, but you know, you took something that you borrowed from my office and just didn't return it, right? See, Ray Comfort uses this to, to, to show that if if God is to judge us according to his law, would we be guilty or innocent? Guilty, of course, right? Well, I'm not that bad. I think I'm good enough, don't, don't, don't you think that? Right? We're good enough. See, the problem is, if we were to go to the doctor, and the doctor told us, I have a cure for your cancer, but we had no clue what cancer did, that wouldn't be any use to us, would it? Right? But because we know what cancer is, a slow decay, death, of pain, and all the things that comes with this disease, that would be really good news, wouldn't it? You see, God is not passive, but he's active in this world. God must and he does punish sin and evil. God cannot be holy and not be angry at evil. See, scripture makes it clear that justice, wrath, and judgment are just as much divine attributes of God as his love, mercy, and grace. P.G. Matthew says God's wrath is his holy hostility toward all evil and sentient beings, both angels and humans. It is his holy nature against everything evil. Scripture speaks more about God's wrath and hell than love. Did you know that? Which you might even find even more astonishing if you take the time. Don't just listen to me, beloved. Look in the Word of God. But did you know that, in fact, that Jesus spoke more about judgment and hell than anyone else in Scripture? Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Just go to the Sermon on the Mount. It's filled with warnings about divine wrath and judgment. And at the very end of his sermon, he concludes with Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 to 30. Look there right now if you want to. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, right? Let's tear it out. Throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Then he continues. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. In other words, the warning here is Jesus is telling, we spoke about this in the family ministry yesterday. He's saying you need to be willing to do radical things to flee from sin. That means, brothers and sisters, if you're watching TV and it's causing you to sin, get rid of it. If your business is all about all the money that you can make and build your empire, maybe you should get rid of that business. That means if you're tempted to hit your brother or sister, maybe you should figure out a way to, you know, or your parents, like myself and my wife, will we'll help you, right? To, to flee from the situation that causes you to be tempted to hurt your siblings. Whatever that thing is for you, be willing to do radical things to flee from sin. As John Piper mentions, 
either be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You see, God is being continuously revealed in his wrath from heaven. The word here is used in the present passive tense. God's timing of his wrath is constantly being revealed. The earth is dominated by heaven from which God's wrath is constantly, dynamically manifested in the world of men. This is why Paul later speaks about it in that we are storing up wrath, wrath for ourselves. God's divine timing, the day of wrath, Romans chapter 2, verse 5. You just look to the next chapter. You can see that. And we wonder why so many wicked people prosper, seemingly doing evil with utter impurity. But if God's wrath is delayed, his bowl of wrath is all the while filling up increasing judgment for increased sin. But God, in his infinitely merciful love and desire, he delays his wrath for us. Also, this wrath is being revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness. That's what the text tells us. It's revealed you know, from heaven, revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God's wrath is universal in that it is against all that deserve it. And that means all people outside of Christ stand condemned under the righteous wrath of God. If we transgress against one part of law, we transgress against all of the law. The law only shows us our sins. We spoke about this last week and even talked about it again this morning in the men's study in Galatians. The law is only serving as an instruction for us, as a tutor for us. All it does is it reveals to us our sin and our need for God's salvation. And it's revealed against ungodliness. This refers to the lack of reverence and devotion to worship the one true God. You see, brothers and sisters, we have a worship problem. Sin problems are worship problems. Because we were created in the Mago Deo, the image and likeness of God, we were created to worship. I mean, th this is an innate desire that we have. We want to worship something. The question is what? But our sin nature desires false worship. There's a constant trajectory of movement towards idolatry. And you think, well, you know, I don't worship statues, right? I mean, we can go into, I'm sure, relatives or friends right here in El Paso. It's very uh, evident of the many of those who have statues in their homes and other things like that. And then we can point that out, right? Because that's obvious to us. What about your car? Well, maybe you're into motorcycles. What about your business? What about your grades in school? Your aspirations for success? Your job? What about your children? Ooh. See, we're all prone to 
idolatry. We just have different forms and facets. Anything that you place more concern and care for than God is a form of idolatry. Don't, don't take what I'm saying for it. Look in the Word of God. I promise you, you'll see it there. See, the, the reality is, is our hearts are filled with idols. It's an idol factory. We either bow down to the one true God or we bow down to Satan. We either are a child of God or we're a child of the devil. The scripture makes it very clear. Go to Romans. You'll read it right there. Paul later speaks about our worship problem in verse 1 of verse 25, or chapter 1, verse 25, and that we worship the creation rather than the creator. You see, ungodliness leads to something else. And God's wrath is revealed against unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is not really something different. It's more of a synonym to ungodliness. Because we have a worship problem. Because we worship wrongly. The result is naturally unrighteousness. See, men do not act righteously because they are not not rightly related to God. And I'm saying the word men, but I promise you, women, it means you too. Let me give you an illustration. My own children. I never had to teach my children how to sin. It's in their sin nature. From my youngest to my oldest, I never had to teach them the word, no, right? What about your clothes away? No, daddy. <laughs> right? That just comes naturally to them. You see, ungodliness unavoidably leads to unrighteousness. Humans, humanity's hostility towards fellow humans originates with being at enmity with God. In other words, hostile, hostile towards God, right? Against God. Because you are against God and you think, oh, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm, I believe in God. I, I, you know, I go to church on Sunday. I even give about 20 bucks and offer whatever you want to do to justify yourself. I promise you, apart from Christ and the Holy Spirit dwelling with you, you're an enemy of God. If you've not been transformed through that regenerative process of being born again in Christ through the power of the Spirit, you worship something and it's not God. If you're worshiping yourself. And because of that, you have no problem stealing, cheating, lying, doing whatever that sin is. And unrighteousness is built to, to man so deeply that it's natural and there is a, a compelling desire for self. You know why you sin, brothers and sisters? Because you want to. That's, that's the truth. That's the reality. We sin because we want to. Even those of us who are in Christ, we sin because we want to. Uh, but there is no temptation overcome that God does not provide us a way of escape. God is righteous, but we are unrighteous. You see, many try to cover themselves with the pretension of self-righteousness. You know that our religious checkboxes that we say that we're doing good for ourselves? 
But their efforts are like covering nakedness with a fig leaf apron. Human self-righteousness cannot stand up against the gaze of a righteous God. He is unoppressed by our pretended self-righteousness. Therefore, God's wrath is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness because man suppresses the truth. This is the judgment. This is the cause of God's wrath right here. Suppression of truth. The gospel presented in the church should be made beautiful. But it can but it can be only cherished unless we know the righteous judgment. The judgment that reveals to us our need for the gospel. We are in desperate need of a cure of our global virus. See, Christian, unlike COVID, this is a virus with a 100% mortality rate. Sin. God's wrath is revealed in that we suppress the truth. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, man does not have to be convinced of his own false righteousness. Fallen humans are natural self-advocates and it just flows right out of us. We will always try to justify ourselves in our sin apart from Christ and his spirit dwelling in us. We suppress the truth instead. Sinful men and women oppose the idea of a holy God. What do I mean by this? You see, when we innately come to terms with knowing that such a God will hold us accountable for sins, we would rather love our sin and refuse to relinquish it. So therefore, we justify ourselves. You see, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones reflecting on this very thing, he said, you will never make yourself feel that you're a sinner because you right, are the mechanism and the result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. Right? I mean, no one can tell us that we're sinful. I mean, it's... We, we have a... We have a problem with people calling out sin in our lives. So therefore, we justify that. Now this is the judgment of God's wrath. This is God's judgment. Our own self-righteous truth is utterly despicable before God. In fact, it's a stench in God's nostrils, and God condemns it. And why? Because when we subtract Suppress the truth and being made in his image, as verse 19 tells us, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. We in our sin nature ignore God's presence as an image bearer. There is a sense in which we always have known that we were created with a purpose to reflect our creator. I mean, think about it. When you were born, when you came to the age of consciousness, did anyone have to teach you about these questions like, what's my purpose in life? You're like, why am I here? What's wrong with this world? Is there any hope in it? I mean, think about it. those questions we've all thought about at some point in life, and people didn't have to teach us about that. If we just look at our own characteristics in human flesh, 
We can see the workings of a creator higher than us. We can just look in the mirror and see our creator at work. Our mind. It's a powerful thing. It, it has the ability to tell us to breathe without any effort on our part. I mean, it's not like we're sitting here right now going, oh, I gotta breathe again. I gotta breathe, right? It just happens naturally in life. God designed our bodies perfectly that way. Our heart pumps blood through our veins, throughout our body with, without even our command. Every design of our body is uniquely created with a function. Think about that. Like my arm right now. Like God created my arm. I can hold it out here. I can wiggle my fingers because my brain is saying something. And as the muscles contract and I can move, and this hand was designed so I can pick things up. But if I lose my thumb, I drop my Bible, right? I, I just like the way I can move my arm in such a direction so I'm not stiff and trying to carry everything out like this. I mean, the design of the human body is amazing. It was made with a unique purpose and design. He is the one who made it so that we would reflect him. God even designed us to procreate and bring new life into this world. Think about that. Every time we have children, we're sub-creators made in the image and likeness of our creator. We should think about this and be amazed. All people, regardless of their relative opportunities to know God's word and hear his gospel, have an internal, God-given evidence of his existence in nature, but are universally inclined to resist and assault that evidence. We suppress the truth. Being an image bearer when we ignore God's presence in the creation, Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. This is what we call general revelation. How God reveals to us through his creation. The Lord testifies through his outward visible manifestation of himself. And it is universally known to man. This is why the psalmist in Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim as any word. We're talking about the sun and the moon and the stars. A light that rules the day and a light that rules the night. A symphony of celestial bodies in the universe in perfect harmony. Singing out praises to God. Hallelujah. Think about this. If we in our earth's rotational axis going around the orbit of the sun if we're just one degree one degree slightly closer we burn to death one degree further away and we freeze to death I'm not a scientist scientists tell us this right so for those of us who trust the data standing by the oceans or the mountains we can't help but know there is a great God how can this exist without a sovereign creator? The characteristics of God reflected in his creation give us an unmistakable testimony to men. And this is why the Bible says, not Paul, the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says they are without excuse. Without excuse. 
People have a sense of God as they observe his creation and the works in history. The early church, Father Tertullian wrote, it was not the pen of Moses that initiated the knowledge of the creator. The vast majority of mankind, though they never heard the name Moses, know the God of Moses. It is in the conscience of every human being as an image bearer, an awareness of the presence of God invading you. Have any of you heard the story of Helen Keller? Born, deaf, right? And she, it, it took many years of being poured into to before she could like communicate and, and eventually in speech, even though she could not hear. And when the person ministering to her because she was a Christian told her about God, Helen Keller responded with, I knew he always existed. I just didn't know his name. You see, every sinner is born drowning in the ocean of God's divine wrath. Every sinner has especially two needs, a need for forgiveness and a need for righteousness. Now, this message, I know, is not popular. We don't want to hear it. I'm, I'm sure some of you right now think I'm full, full of it by speaking about God's wrath and hell and judgment. But I'm not making this up. It's right here in the Word of God, clear, plain and clear for us to to see and know. And God wants us to know about this because he wants us to seek him so that we could receive his forgiveness, his mercy, his righteousness. God is righteous and we are not. The gospel declares that every sinner is born under the wrath of God and remains the object of his wrath. Unless we come to Christ, receive his grace, we're, we are storing up God's wrath against us continues. Jonathan Edwards played a significant role in what we call the Great Awakening. He wrote a sermon entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. We don't like that, do we? We don't like the thought of God being angry. In the sermon he said, referring to sinners, he said, the reason why they are not fallen already and do not fall now as only that God's appointed time is not come. We live once. And we die. And at that appointed time, there is a judgment. Friends, the reality of hell and God's wrath is real. Wrath is being revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness. It's a foretaste of ultimate judgment to come. It's probably inconceivable to even think about the horrors of hell. And it's forever. And ever. And ever. And ever. And ever. The fierceness of God's justice and righteous wrath will sweep over us in that last day if we're not in Christ. For some, like myself, it may lead to an awakening of prodigal son-like experience where I saw how utterly despicable of a person I was. And I cried out to the Lord, Lord, I tried everything, and I failed at everything. Help me. That was my prayer. Help me. But sadly, some will never turn to God in repentance and belief. But saints, friends, let us flee from the wrath of God. 
Do not minimize your sin or excuse it away. Raise no defense. Simply take it to the one who is already at the right hand of the Father, advocating for you right now at this very moment on the basis, not of your works, not of your righteousness, on the basis of his own wounds. Let your unrighteousness and all your darkness and despair drive you to Jesus Christ, the righteous one. In all his brightness, in all his sufficiency, you know, see, sin leads to death, right? But did you know death is a gateway to paradise? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But God, in his mercy and love, is offering us the victory on the cross in his son. Whereas, whereas the punishment is now being transformed into purification. Whereas the blood of the righteous one makes a path for us. The power of sin and death is now being replaced by the love of the righteous one. God's righteous is revealed in the gospel's power to save. The sovereign creator of the heavens and earth, the one who created all things, has every right over you and every right over me to be ruler and lord of our lives. Because Adam sinned and because we sinned, we fall short of the glory of God. And we stand condemned, separated eternally in condemnation and wrath from God the Father. But God in his love and mercy did not leave us there. He sent the righteous one. He sent the Savior. He sent his beloved son who could live the life that you and I cannot live. He obeyed his parents perfectly. He loved God the Father and the Spirit perfectly. He obeyed the law perfectly. He never stole he never lied. He never coveted it. And he fulfilled the law perfectly and the prophets and the psalms. But then, as I read earlier, the lamb who is worthy, who was slain, who was spilt in his blood across the cross on behalf of sinful, rebellious people like you and me, he died the death that you and I deserve. But his death was not enough. He conquered sin and death once and for all, and the curtain was torn into two. And for those of us who repent and believe upon the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is Lord, that he did die, that he does love us, and that we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we can now enter the Holy of Holies, the grace the throne of grace. God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel's power to save. Come to the heart of Christ. How do you escape the wrath to come? The answer is found in the heart of Jesus. The atoning work of the Son, decreed by the Father and applied by the Spirit, it ensures that we become children of God and a safe, safely secured Eternally. 
as Dane Ortland says, for those united to him, the heart of Jesus is not a rental. It is your new permanent residence. You are not a tenant, you are a child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and the still waters, waters of endless reassurance of his presence and comfort. And whatever our, our present spiritual accomplishments, accomplishments, it is he who is able. And this is who he is. Let us recognize the seriousness of sin, friends. Christian superficial understandings lead to false understandings of, of the solution. Saints, understanding sin and wrath will make you wiser for salvation. Beloved, knowing the nature of sin will aid you in embracing the beauties of the gospel of grace. Christian, remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And respond to the gospel to man today by pre praying for gospel fruit. To live in gospel obedience and to be eager to preach this gospel of grace, this gospel of hope to all who would hear. Friends, if you are deep in your sorrow and the sins of life, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Come to Christ today who is gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Look to Jesus Christ. When you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, know this, beloved, you are with the flow of his own deepest wishes and not against them. He says, come to me. And let us conclude our time this morning with the Word of God. Found in the glorious verse that many of us know in John 3.16, but we often forget what comes after John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His, His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We like that, don't we? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We like that too, right? This is what we like to quote and tell people about. The salvation, the good things. But whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. The demons believe and they tremble. But this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. And why do they love the darkness? Because everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light lest his works should be exposed. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, I pray this morning that you recognize God's wrath and are not discouraged by it, but encouraged knowing that you have already fleed from the wrath of God by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And then if you are His, Scripture tells us that He is faithful to complete the good work He began. 
Let us pray. Jesus, I am so thankful for what you did on the cross on behalf of our Father, your Father. Lord God, we come before your throne of grace today because of what your sin did on behalf of a sinful and rebellious people. Not only was he the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world, a once and for all sacrifice, the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, taking our place, but he's also our great high priest. And he offers himself freely on our behalf. And he who is worthy to enter the holy of holies has paved the way for us by conquering sin and death once for all for those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. By your grace, we are thankful. Lord, I also pray for those here who perhaps come because their parents make them. Perhaps come because a friend invited them. Perhaps come because they think it's a good thing to do and they're checking off their own righteous checklist of religiosity. Those who think by being a member a GPF or any other church makes them in right standing before you. Lord, I pray that you invade their heart this morning to convict them of the truth. Their works are nothing but filthy rags before you. It's only faith in Jesus Christ alone. By grace, it's a gift of God. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that you reveal the, lift the veil and reveal yourself to them and they come to you. Lord, I, I pray as we go through this study and we deal with the hard things that are here, that we realize that what a great and awesome God you are that saves sinners from your wrath who don't deserve it. We thank you for who you are and what your constantly has become. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday at 9 a.m. for connections and at 10.30 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the Baptist Student Ministry at 101 East University near UTEP. If you have any questions, you can dial 915 308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. <laughs>